Again, we want to welcome you here this morning, and I just want to say, if you are uh, new, if you're visiting with us today, uh, want to welcome you to our family. We believe, we truly believe, it's no accident that you're here, and we believe that God has something, something, uh, a good work to do in our hearts here this morning, that this is not just one more Sunday. If you can believe it or not, it is the third Sunday of Advent already. Christmas is almost here, and uh, we want to uh, uh, get everybody caught up to speed. And so uh, if you're new to this whole church thing and new to maybe the liturgical year and what this Advent thing uh, is all about, I wanted to get us all up to speed if you're new today. So take a look uh, at this quick video, and maybe you'll be enlightened. Everything you would ever want to know about Advent. Advent is not Lent, as you saw, and actually what I love about that little video is that line there at the end. I don't know if you caught it or not, but it says, if you're sick of Christmas by December 25th, you haven't done Advent correctly. Think about that for a second. If you are sick of Christmas by December 25th, something has gone terribly wrong. And you might ask yourself, why is that? Why do we do that? And so at this time of year, it would be appropriate for, for us to ask, how can we do Advent differently then? What if our hearts could be filled with joyful anticipation rather than stressful frustration this time of year? And what I'd like to propose to you this morning as we dig into our scripture for today is that the key to Advent is really all about our prep oration. Not stress, but preparation. And our scripture this morning that was read for us has something powerful to say about the importance of preparing, about the importance of preparation. So if you haven't turned in there in your Bibles already, let's go to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 1. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In our scripture today, we encounter this interesting character who comes on the scene, and his name is John the Baptist. In fact, in your Advent devotional, if you pick that up, you'll also find that today's devotion is about John the Baptist. How ironic is that? And so we encourage you to pick that up and, and to do that devotion later today. So if you grew up in the church or in any kind of uh, traditional or liturgical background, you know that John the Baptist tends to show up around Christmas time, at least he shows up in our text, in our scripture, uh, this during this season of Advent. And maybe you find yourself this morning scratching your head a little bit, going, What in the world was this crazy character named John the Baptist? What does he have to do with the birth of Jesus? Well, as it turns out, there's very something there's something very special about this character named John, who, by the way, John the Baptist doesn't get that name because of his denominational affiliation. I'm sorry to those of you that are former Baptists and now that are here. He's John the Baptist because he's baptizing people. We all know that John the Baptist was Lutheran. So end of debate. Um, No, he's John the Baptist because he is baptizing people. We find him baptizing people in the River Jordan in our scripture today. and, uh, And he's calling them to repentance. John actually serves several really important purposes during this Advent season, and Advent literally meaning coming, or the, the arrival, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so during this four-week season that, that has been set aside by the church for centuries, we're called to pause in order to prepare, in order to prepare for the Lord's coming. And if you think about it, if you were waiting, think about this for a second, if you were waiting, if you were getting ready for that something or that someone that had the potential to change your life, 
how would you get ready? What would you do? If you knew that that someone was coming that had the potential to transform your life, how would you go about preparing for them to come? Would you make yourself busy? Would you surround yourself with noise and distraction? Would you consume as much as you can? Would you rush around? Or, or would you take time to prepare your heart? And that's what's at the very center of John's message for us this morning. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. It's right there in the first eight verses of Mark's gospel. In fact, uh, let's read it together. This is John's primary message. Go ahead. Let's read this together. He is a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Make straight the paths for him. It's, it's a good feeling to be, be prepared rather than unprepared, isn't it? Some of you can think of times in your life where you were totally unprepared. We've all probably uh, had that story of walking into class or maybe just it was a nightmare or something for you of walking into class for that big test, that big final paper, and you know you feel completely unprepared. Maybe you have to think a little bit back to your to school days or your college days or uh, that maybe it's that dreaded feeling that you have or that, that some of us have probably experienced of rolling over in the morning and you look over the, at the alarm clock and... <gasps> I should have been at work half an hour ago, right? And you just kind of get this feeling of like, oh no! And you feel completely thrown off. You feel completely unprepared. Or especially this year, what's the question it seems like everyone's asking? You get into conversation, you meet somebody at the store, you're out to eat, you're walking around town, and the one question everybody's asking is, so, are you ready for Christmas? That seems to be the question that's all about, are you ready for Christmas? In other words, have you prepared yourself? Are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Now, we know that one of the ways that many people prepare for Christmas is, of course, the decorations. And some people really go all out on this, and some people, it's not their thing whatsoever. And so some people go nuts, particularly with lights all over their homes. And if you've driven around town recently, there's some areas around our neighborhood here where people really go all out. I mean, it's a, it's a spectator sport to go around and look at these lights, and uh, the cars are pulling in and out of the driveways and looking at them. Um, it's an attraction. And so uh, some people, uh, maybe your neighbors, have taken it upon themselves to put so many lights on their house uh, that it's an attempt to have their house seen uh, in outer space by astronauts. Um, and so in an attempt to fight against this this ridiculousness, um, my wife and I have decided, well, okay, we're going to simplify uh, with our Christmas lights this year. We decided to go a bit easier for our decorations when we saw what great lengths our neighbors went to. So uh, actually our neighbors really, really, really decorated their house up. And so we thought, well, since they did it all, uh, we might as well make it easy on ourselves. So here's what we did, actually. Uh, this is our house and our neighbors. Um, so we're there on the right. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that or not, so um, I'm joking, that's not us. But I just saw that picture and I had to show it to you. Uh, isn't that the heart of the season, right? Ah, bah humbug, just ditto, right? Right? You look at your neighbors and say, ah, oh, ditto, right? Because we're taking time as the pastor and wife to prepare our hearts so we don't have time to prepare our home, right? So we just ditto. That's the easiest way of doing it. And that's how you prepare. Or maybe not. Maybe not quite. Is it really like that? Or does John's message hit us a bit differently this morning? Prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready 
for Christmas, make sure your heart is ready. And it's not just preparing for a test, or it's not even just preparing your house with Christmas lights for John. It was really about preparing to meet Jesus, which is what this season of Advent is all about. And so, first of all, John actually serves a couple purposes here in this text. And the the first purpose is this, this rather edgy message in the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness and he says, repent, turn around. But if you're unfamiliar with the story, it turns out that John is about the most unlikely of characters to be used by God to bring such an important message to actually get us ready for Jesus. If you were God and you were thinking, I need to find a prophet that will come and clearly clearly prepare people for Jesus, probably not the place you would turn would be the middle of the wilderness to gum stinky, smelly, weird-looking guy. But that's exactly what God does. It turns out that John's a bit of a wild man. It turns out that John, here in verse 6, well, it gives us a pretty accurate description. Verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair, not exactly the hip trend of the day camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts. Anybody locusts on, that, on, your, on your diet? Maybe not. He ate locusts and wild honey. We also learn that John the Baptist spent most of his time out in the wilderness. So when you really look at the text, John is much more of a street preacher than a qualified religious teacher. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at this passage, and, and of all the details that Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, if... All, all, the, all the details that he could have written out about this story, why did he choose to keep verse 6? Think about that for a second. This is the very beginning of his gospel. You want to say the most important things to get people's attention at the very beginning of your message. So why does Mark, out of all the details to include, include verse 6? Why does he tell us that John wore camel's hair and ate locusts and honey? Do you think that that's really essential to the story? Well, as it turns out, I actually think it is. Maybe that's just it. Maybe God was trying to teach us something before even John the Baptist opens his mouth. Maybe God is trying to teach us something about the way that he moves. Maybe God's trying to teach us something about being prepared because in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the God of the universe coming to this world as as a tiny helpless baby coming to a feeding trough. If you're the king of kings and the lord of lords and you're coming from heaven to earth, don't you think that you're going to have a great grand entrance? Don't you think you're going to come riding in on a great stallion with, with, with flags and pomp and circumstance and a sword and trumpets blasting? If you're the king of the world, you can come into this world however you want. But our king says, no, I'll, I'll become a tiny, helpless, vulnerable baby. Not the most likely of entrances either. So maybe God is saying, are you ready? Just like Jesus came so unexpected, I want you to see John the Baptist in the same way. Prepare for the God of the unexpected. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the path for Jesus to come, preaches John, because I don't want you to miss him. Don't miss him, John says. Don't miss him this Christmas. Don't miss the unexpected ways that he might want to break into your life today. I have a feeling for the people that were living out there on the countryside and this man walks out of the wilderness and starts saying, the Messiah, 
He's coming. He's on the move. He's almost here. That's the least likely person that they would expect. They maybe had resigned themselves to the fact, well, this is who Yahweh is. This is who the Lord of Israel is. This is who God is. And we've seen how he's moved in the past, and there's no way, there's no way that he could enter into my life with the mess that I'm in. Do you expect the unexpected from God? Do you really believe he's capable of breaking into your life this morning? Maybe you've given up on him breaking into that area of your life where you've just given up hope. Maybe that area of your life where you thought, you know, are my prayers ever going to be heard? Does God really listen to our prayers? Maybe it's that area of your life where you've actually kept God at an arm's length. And if that's you today, if you're kind of keeping this Savior off to a safe distance, not getting integrated into your life, if, if you've got him at an arm's length, well, John's message to you this morning is expect the unexpected. Be prepared because you don't know how he might want to show up. So as we read this story in the scripture today, the obvious, the primary purpose of John is to get us ready, to, to tell us to repent. But he also stands, John the Baptist actually stands as this bridge between the Old and the New Testaments of the prophecies of old and the promises that Jesus will fulfill. John is actually this link between the old and the new. He connects us to the deep roots of these Old Testament prophecies that were written centuries before Jesus was ever born. For instance, we find, well, we find this one in Isaiah. And if you can see this, I'll turn it a little bit for you, for those over there. We've got these new banners today. And this one's rather appropriate because this was written thousands of years before Jesus ever steps on the scene. So let's read that together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And you can find prophecies like this. This is just the tip of the iceberg. You can find prophecies like this all throughout the Old Testament, many of them in great deal. From the last words of the Old Testament to the first words of the Gospels, you've got to understand 400 years of silence. Of silence. With, 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 with prophets saying for thousands of years, get ready, be prepared, he's coming. And then imagine you're sitting there in those 400 years of silence going, is he ever going to come? Is it really worth the wait? No words from God. One of the reasons we read the Bible is because we can identify with these people. If you've ever prayed for something, if you ever feel like God is being silent in your life, read the Old Testament. They waited for hundreds and hundreds of years saying, I hope I'm waiting for something good. I hope I won't be disappointed. And then this, <laughs> all of a sudden, this dirty, smelly, hairy, wild man comes walking out of the desert and breaks the 400 years of silence and says, repent, get ready. He's coming. God is on the move. And the, the prophets of old cry out to us today, listen to Isaiah, listen to Jeremiah, listen to Hosea, read the Old Testament and hear the echo of the prophets today saying, get ready, get ready. Why? Because you're not going to be disappointed. We waited in silence for 400 years for this son to be given to us. And he came. 
and he came, and you will not be disappointed. Because when you think about it, we really don't like to wait. (laughs) All throughout history, people don't like to wait, and we don't like to wait today, whether it's in line at the store. Have you ever gone to, to Walmart or Target or a grocery store or something like that and just looked at people in line? Nobody looks comfortable. Nobody looks like they want to be there, right? They want to get in. They want to get out. We value speed in our culture. We don't like to wait at the store. We don't like wait for the workday. Don't like to wait for the workday to be over. We don't even like to wait for Christmas to get here. But we wait because in the end we know, well, it'll be worth it. Which is exactly a message, the same message that a, a, a similar strange man named Clark W. Griswold wanted his family to believe. Just wait. It'll be worth it. All these Christmas preparations that I'm doing. You might remember this, this holiday classic from a few years back, a lot of years back now. Uh, Clark decided that the best way to prepare his family for Christmas was by stapling, that's right, stapling 250 strands of lights to every square inch of his house. And this is how he felt he was going to be prepared for Christmas. But when it came time to shine the light, well, he made him wait for a long, long time. And in the end, it turned out to be a bit of a letdown. Let's take a look. Oh, what encouragement from the father-in-law. Soda washing machines, right? What an encouragement. I'm glad that nobody else's family is weird like that, right? Anybody's? No, okay, just my family's weird. Um, All the work, all the work, all the planning, all the preparation for what? Nothing. Day after day of stapling lights to the whole house, all the anticipation, all the buildup, all the drum roll, all for what? to be let down, to have the entire family disappointed. I don't know about you, I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to get to December 25th and already be sick of Christmas. I don't want to wear myself out during these weeks leading up to Christmas only to be let down in the end. And that's the promise that John the Baptist brings today as he says, you won't be. There won't be this great build-up called Advent to Christmas. If you do Advent correctly, you won't be let down. You won't be if you take time to prepare the right way. If you would simply pause and say, maybe for you this year, before another Christmas goes by, before another Christmas Eve service goes by where you get your candle and you gather your family together and you sing Silent Night, Before one more year of going through the motions comes and goes, I'm going to get my heart right this year. I'm going to prepare my heart. I'm going to get my heart truly ready for Christmas. Because you see, when we look at this text, Christmas, Advent isn't just a time when we, we look back into history, into the prophecies of Isaiah and other prophetic books, but it's a day where we also look forward to the second coming, to the day when Jesus will return just as he promised. And so if you've got your Bible there this morning, you have to know this story that you have in front of you today of John the Baptist is not just a little fun illustration. Oh, there's this kind of funny guy, and he said, get ready for Jesus, and it's a fun little Christmas illustration. 
It's a story about a man named Jesus, fully God, fully human, who really, truly showed up in our world. And he shows up and he has shown up here today. You ever think about that? This isn't just one more Sunday at Hope Des Moines. He's here. He has shown up here today to meet you. Right now, here today, his spirit, his presence is here for you. Are you ready? He's here for you today. You see, we got to remember that, that having a, a living, breathing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ isn't something that we can just procrastinate our whole lives. It's not something we just say, oh, I'll get to that. When I'm done with college, then I'll get serious about my faith. When I have kids, well, then I want to bring them up on the face of faith, so then I'll get serious. When the kids are finally out of the house, then I'll get serious about it. Maybe when I'm on my final breaths, well, then I'll get serious about it. The invitation today is to meet the real, present, living Jesus right now, here today. That's the message of John the Baptist. Repent for the kingdom of God is here today. Step into it today. Don't wait to go all in with your faith. Don't wait to have that living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't settle for religion, folks. Don't settle for it because you're going to miss out on the life and the freedom and the peace and the joy that this baby who became man has for you today. Don't wait or you're going to miss it. You see, one of the things that I love that happens to be so unique about the Gospel of Mark as opposed to some of the other Gospels, uh, Matthew and Luke and John, that they go into a bit more detail. Have you ever read Mark? It goes about 97 miles an hour, right? This book is like, then Jesus did this, and immediately he did this, and then he went over here, and then he did this, and then he healed this person, and then he went to that town. Boom, boom, boom. you got to catch your breath when you read the Gospel of Mark. I'm thankful for the other Gospels that they give us the stories and the details that we wouldn't have otherwise. But Mark's gospel says, I'm going to tell you the most important news first. And so right away, right away, Mark doesn't even <laughs> handle Jesus' birth. He says, I just trust you're going to get that elsewhere. Mark goes right in and he says, here's the most important news that you could ever hear. There was this guy named John. And his sole purpose, his sole mission in life was to prepare you to get ready for the only person, the only person who is truly capable of transforming your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. You see where the other Gospels tend to, to go into great detail and, and color in all the details of the story as it moves forward. Mark doesn't even let you get halfway through the first chapter the first chapter of his gospel before he says, I want you to know this. I want you to know this, that this Jesus showed up, that he's real, fully human, fully God, as a man, right in the middle of ordinary life, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes and he says, I'm it. I'm it. I'm the one that you've been waiting for for thousands of years. I'm it, so come Follow me, Jesus says. That's what Mark wants to make sure that you get 
right away. It, it, it's almost like he can't wait to get there. Have you ever had news that's so good that you just want to blurt it out? <laughs> Maybe you remember that, that day that you got engaged, right? You just want to call everybody you know. We're engaged. It's the greatest news in the world. I want everybody to know. That's the way it is for Mark. And let's read this together of what Jesus says in Mark 1, 15. After John the Baptist comes, Jesus shows up on the scene. And his very first words are this. Let's read it together. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's how you prepare for Christmas, John says. Repent. It's the first words of John. It's the first words of Jesus. Repent. Repent. Now, I'm guessing that when you hear that word, (laughs) repent, I'm guessing that you're probably not being filled by a whole bunch of warm fuzzies, are you? Nobody, I bet none of you came to church to say, oh, I hope we talk about repentance. It makes me feel so good inside, right? Probably not. I'm guessing that you're probably not being filled right now with a bunch of joy. People hear the word repent. In this story and other stories, and more often than that, not, they tend to get all bent out of shape. You hear the word repent, and it seems, wow, it carries with it such baggage. And you say, oh, you know, it's Christmas, John. I'd rather just hear a sermon that's kind of light and happy and, and friendly. Let's just avoid the R word. Can't we? You know what? I can completely see why. Because a lot of us have a very skewed idea of what it means to repent. If it's the first thing John says, if it's the first thing that Jesus says in his ministry, it's probably important that we get this right. Because unfortunately, this idea of repentance for many of us is basically, well, here's what it is. It's us getting busted for all the wrong things that we've done, crawling back to Jesus saying, "Uh, I'm sorry, and I'll try harder next time. I'll try harder next time to be good enough, to be, to be holy enough. I'll, I'll try harder to change my habits and my behaviors on my own strength only to fail again. And then I end up having even more stuff to feel guilty about. And I'm probably disappointing a God who's already disappointed in me. You might laugh at that and say, oh, no, that's, that's not it. But for a lot of us, that's the story. That's the reality that we live in. That there's this God that's up in heaven just waiting for us to screw up. (laughs) And he's got a giant ruler. And when we screw up, he whacks us on the wrist and he says, Again, fail. Failure. Let me ask you this morning, how's that going for you? How's that view of God going for you? How's, How's that going for you trying to be a better husband? Trying to be a better wife? trying to be a better parent, trying to be a better friend, trying to be a better follower of Christ. How's that going for you? I mean, if trying harder, if striving more is what repentance is really all about, then I would get extremely weary of it as well. But what if that couldn't be farther from the truth? What if we started to see repentance as a gift? In fact, when we look at Scripture and we see Jesus, this God who became flesh, we don't see some angry God that's up in the clouds waiting around for us to screw up. 
In Jesus, we have a God that comes right down into the middle of our lives as a loving, faithful friend. And I almost wonder if repentance is like Jesus coming alongside of you as you're headed in not the greatest direction in life, as a trusted, faithful friend, and Jesus comes up along beside you and he puts his hand in the small of your back and he says, I love you. And I love you way too much to let you continue to go in the direction you're heading. And if you'll let me, I'll change your heart. If you let me, I'll change your direction. And he puts his hand in your back and he puts it around you and says, I love you so much. So let me turn you around. Turn around. Repent, John the Baptist says. Repent. And it it comes, actually, it comes from the Greek word metanoia, which even more accurately means an afterthought. After you've done this, you've changed your mind. It literally means change the way you think. Change your mind. Open up your mind. Go in a different direction. Repent. I had a firsthand experience with this uh, this week, and I, I, I really do believe that God has a sense of humor because he's allowed me to uh, turn around in more ways than one this past week, which actually came much more to my surprise. So instead of being all prepared for the first snowfall, I don't know if anybody was, are you ready for winter? Were you ready for winter to get here? Maybe not. I wasn't in my driving skills. And so uh, I thought I could handle it just fine. So last week I'm coming home from work and I'm, I'm getting ready to cross over Polk Boulevard right out here. And I think, oh, uh, I, I, I'm doing great. I'm about 25 yards from the intersection. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time to slow down, right? I, I'm a man. We always know what we're doing in cars. And, uh, and I've got plenty of time. So as I get closer, I start to pump the brakes and then it hits me. I'm not in control of my car anymore and this thing is not going to stop. And I'm just sliding right through the intersection. And in that moment, I got a decision to make. I can either change my mind and flip the steering wheel and go right as my car's starting to fishtail and just go with the rhythm, just go with the flow, or I can try to fix it myself and keep pumping the brakes. Meanwhile, there are two cars coming directly at me, and I can smell T-bone all over this because I've been in that situation before. I've been T-boned at 45 miles an hour, and somehow I live to tell about it. And I'm like, I am not doing that again. In that moment, the most important thing that I could do is turn around, is repent, is change my mind very quickly and change the direction of my car. Repent, turn around, go the other way, and it saved my life. Because it truly is a matter of life and death, and so I turned and I slid on. Sometimes God just needs to get our attention and change our mind and turn the other way. Because God says to you this morning, I love you way too much for you to keep going in that direction of danger in your life. Repent, John says. Repent, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. Change the way that you see life and let me completely transform the way that you move through this life. Yes, repentance is about going one way and then turning around, turning away from our sin. But repentance isn't just turning from our sin, it's turning towards God. It's turning towards the one that truly has the power to change us. As powerful as John the Baptist's message is, did you notice what's missing? There's something missing in John's message, and he even admits it. 
He comes right out and says it in verse 7 and 8. Look at your Bibles with me. Verse 7 and 8. John says this, After me comes one more powerful than I, straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. In fact, I got verse 8. Let's read verse 8 together. This is what John ends up saying. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John says, oh yeah, oh yeah. Before I'm done, don't forget the most important part. I'm not it. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm only here to get you ready. You see, the one who's coming, that's the man behind the message. The one who's coming, he's going to baptize you not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and truly fill you up. Yes, you're called to repent. But if you've ever tried to change the direction of your life, if you've ever tried to change on your own strength, you know that repenting is a lot easier said than done. Because even after we've turned and we've turned the other direction time after time after time, doesn't it seem like our flesh, doesn't it seem like our sinful nature, doesn't it seem like our old self rears its ugly head and before we know it, we're headed back in the same direction we were before? How many of us have tried to do that on our own strength? We start moving in a new direction and we take our eyes off of Christ and then we're going back in the same life we once lived before. How do we break that vicious cycle? How do we have the power to overcome? John says, it's him. It's the one you've been waiting for. It's the Messiah. Because he's going to come and he's going to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. And that's where the power is. I can baptize you with water. I can help you repent of your sins. But when Jesus comes, he's going to fill you up with the power the only power that's, that's capable of helping you overcome those things in your life that are bigger than you are. John cries out to us today. He says, are you tired of trying to be good enough? Aren't you tired of hiding what's truly going on inside of you? And John says, how's that working for you? Maybe for you, you say, I, oh, I just have a little anger problem. It never really hurt anyone. Oh, really? How's that working for your family? Oh, you see, you say, I'm just, I'm a naturally busy person. You know, I, I actually enjoy it, actually. Just such a full, uh, packed schedule and, and, and just busy, 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 you know. And I'm, I'm just stressed all the time, but I think that's just who I am. Really? How's that working for your heart? Oh, you see, I've, I've got my drinking under control. I don't, I don't turn to it that often, only when I'm depressed. Really? How's that working for you? Oh, you see, I've, <laughs> I've got that addiction mostly cleared up. You see, I, I, just, I only do it when my wife's not home. Because what she doesn't know can't hurt her, right? Really? How's that working for your soul? How's that working for your marriage? Oh, you say, no, things are going great with God. Everything's good, you know. I haven't missed worship in two months. I'm actually in three Bible studies now. Um, I, I think I pray every single morning. I, I'm pretty sure that that's enough for God to be pretty impressed with me. Really, how's that working for your joy? 
John says, repent. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. But far too often, we get the repent part and we miss the good news. You don't have to stuff it. You don't have to avoid it. You don't have to try harder. You don't have to do life alone. Jesus says, instead, let me fill you up with my Holy Spirit today, with my very presence inside of you. Overcoming the darkness in your life isn't an act of willpower. It's actually an act of surrender. It's waving that white flag in your life and saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. There are things that are bigger than I am, and I need you to come fill me up. I need you to come light me up with your spirit, Jesus. That's how you get prepared for Christmas. That's why Mark had such an urgency in his gospel, because John's message was, I found the power. I found the source of power. I found the light that shines in whatever darkness that you might find yourself in this morning. Tap into the power tap into the source of power. It's his Holy Spirit living inside of you. And nobody knows the importance of tapping into that power like our good friend, Clark. You see, the story didn't end with disappointment. The story ended much differently. You see, all that needed, all that was needed was a little bit of power. Let's take a look. Everything changes when you tap into the power. And you and I can stay busy with all the preparations that need to be made this time of year to to fill out these next few weeks of Advent with, with decorations and, yes, even some fuss. And we might just even get to Christmas and be sick of it. Or we can listen to the cry of John the Baptist, the voice calling in the wilderness, calling us to stop, to pause, to turn around, to change our direction, not by our own strength, but through the Holy Spirit saying, Jesus, I need you to be my savior every single day to keep saving me. Or as the words of the song go, let every heart prepare him room. That's how you prepare for Christmas, by opening your heart to the God who loves you, by tapping into the power of Jesus Christ and letting his light, letting his light shine through you so that others can know God is on the move. Christmas is coming. The question for you this Advent season is, are you ready? Let's pray. Let's stand.